This podcast is made possible by Sage People and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Carrie McIntyre, CFO of Interstate Hotels and Resorts, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leaders Podcast. This is episode 422. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. I'm Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we welcome back David Morris, CFO of Guardian Pharmacy. In the last five years, Guardian has added 13 local pharmacy partners across the country, bringing its network to a total of 32 pharmacies. Now, keep in mind, Guardian's unique local ownership model provides its finance leader with lines of sight not into one high-growth firm, but numerous high-growth organizations where talent is increasingly the primary pain point, and finance team members are finding themselves part of the solution. Welcome to the age of the super controller. Our interview begins after these words from our sponsor. Hello, Jack here. I have a message for you from the folks at Sage People. Decisions about your people should be driven by data. But is your HR department still using spreadsheets to keep track of your people? It's time to move to cloud. Understand what makes your employees tick. Know your best performers or determine absence trends all with a cloud HR and people system. Sage People empowers organizations to respond quickly and easily to changing priorities in today's shifting world of work. It means you can make sure your workforce is able to adapt while staying connected and engaged wherever they are. Discover how to get instant insights at your fingertips. Visit us today at sageintech.com forward slash sage dash people. Guardian model so we can 
continue to explore it with you. Guardian is the third uh, largest long-term care pharmacy company in the country. Uh, in the last five years, it's added uh, 13 local pharmacy partners across the country, and that brings the total uh, to 32 pharmacies in the Guardian family. What, what makes this approach interesting, and, and I think what makes David's uh, finance leader role so unique, is that Guardian shares ownership in its business partners with local management teams, as some of uh, the listening audience might recall. And so as a finance leader for the mothership, really, David gets to collaborate with all of these local management teams, all of which are experts at providing long-term care services, but not necessarily back office uh, financial processes. So he has the lines of sight into all these local businesses and knows how to help them uh, prioritize as far as getting their back offices in shape, What's what comes first, what comes later. And he probably understands what some of the common mistakes are along the way. And that's what we've sort of explored with him in the past and why we are, of course, always interested in talking to him. So, David, how did I do? How did you like my my explanation here? Anything you, you care to add? No, I'll give you an A+. plus. So, excellent, excellent intro. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's been exciting. Uh, it's been two years, and give or take a few months since uh, – we got together on this podcast, and uh, you know we've we've continued our growth. We continue to add you know two or three additional you know dots on the map, additional partners throughout the country. And uh, you know when we last spoke two years ago, we were headed to 500 million in revenue. And while we've got a few years to go, but we're on a path now to grow the business to. One billion in revenue, so that you know that gives us uh, a, a lot of challenges and <clears throat> a lot of things to talk about uh, that relates to your program, Jack. Now, regarding uh, the partner groups, from what I recall, Guardian sort of forms these relationships in two different ways. One way is where there's entrepreneurs who are interested in starting something up, and you folks will come and invest with them. The other way, when there's already a pre-existing uh, group, and you, you you folks make an investment, do I have that correct? Is that right? It is. It is. We we grow through you know organically through our existing footprint, and then we grow through the partners, and then we also grow through greenfield startups. Most recently, in the last couple of years, we've expanded. Uh, most of our new startups with existing partners. Uh, for instance, in Tennessee, we had a, a very strong operation in the Nashville area. And in the last three or four years, we've expanded with that management team to Memphis and then to Knoxville. So we have a large presence to cover Tennessee. Uh, we're doing the same thing in Missouri now. So that, that's been one of our key strengths is to – leverage uh, existing capable operators and help them grow their business, not only existing location, but also add new geography. Tell us something about the management of these uh, partner groups today. Who are the people and, and, and the types of skills and 
Where do you compliment them? I have to believe they're good at certain things, not at others. Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, the, the people that are running these pharmacies uh, at the onset of our relationship or partnership, they're, they're medical professionals. They're not business professionals. So I think we bring a lot to the table of what we've learned, where we've got our nose bloodied over the years. We've done it 32 times and can add a lot <clears throat> to these entrepreneur healthcare professionals who have grown a nice business, but they all have a couple of things in common. They typically have financial capital or working capital issues that we can help them manage through. And probably more importantly is the human capital element. I think we can help these entrepreneurs start to build an organization, develop leaders on their team, hire additional people, focus on the right things, and I think that's where we add value as we, you know, partner with, uh, you know, the new relationships we have. <clears throat> and then we take a lot off of them with our support services team here in Atlanta. Uh, we handle all the back office thing like we've talked about on these before from financial accounting, uh, you know, purchasing, uh, working with various insurances, you know, benefits, and then add a lot of high-value things from strategic and national account assistance to leadership and human capital development. So it's sort of we, we, we're getting married with these new partners, and we work with them, and they work with us to, you know, best grow their business. And we've got a lot of experience with it, so it, it's really worked out well. Can you maybe uh, illustrate for us, I'd love an example of how uh, a, a local uh, group uh, may have been struggling with uh, working capital and how uh, Guardian and, and your, your, the, the larger operation was able to help address that for you. Well, we, we help with the, the large purchases. I mean, we're in the drug distribution business, so we're buying large amounts of uh, you know, the solid, oral solids from the various wholesalers. So we, we help on that front. But probably more important than that is the revenue cycle management, helping the pharmacies to make sure that we're billing the individual prescriptions correctly and then collecting the funds on a timely basis. So, you know, on the, the revenue cycles where we can really improve the cash flow and help the businesses have the capital to grow. And I think we've done that with probably every relationship and every partnership that we've had. When you uh, first invest in a, uh, a group and are establishing uh, sort of this new partnership, uh, where there was a pre-existing business, where they already had a book of uh, clients and customers, um, what is it that you uh, often have to address first uh, in, in the finance realm for them? I mean, we are making sure that they have the tools they need to run the business. I mean, many of the smaller entrepreneurial businesses are run out of the checkbook. You know, you determine how well the business is doing by how much cash is in the bank. And I think... We can bring a lot of tools, dashboards, and 
metrics to the business, not only a monthly P&L balance sheet, cash flow, the basic fundamental things you need, but a lot of metrics of how am I doing with my business, you know, starting with the customers, how are we doing on customer retention and what are the metrics there, what's my turnover look like for the various labor aspects of the business, down to helping them better manage you know, the controllable variable cost in their business. So it's all the way up and down. Our problem has been that, um, especially with the businesses that we partnered with the last four or five years, we have to take a measured approach of how soon to turn on some of the tools because it can be overwhelming for business, you know, as we enter this partnership, you know, which is positive and it can be negative if, you know, if we don't manage it appropriately. Now, do you uh, do you evaluate the, and adopt technologies for the enterprise at large? From what I recall, your uh, that's what your support organization has done over time. But I'm wondering, uh, as the organization has continued to grow and you shared the revenues, that uh, you've continued to step up and invest in greater IT infrastructure to support these groups. Is that what's happened? We do. I mean, we all the financial accounting is is done in the support group here in Atlanta. Human capital, you know, management tracking is done out of Atlanta. And we made the decision about a year ago, and we're in the process of rolling out Workday for our human capital management. And that will be deployed, you know, across the country in all 32 locations with our 2,500 associates. So that's an example of deploying the latest cutting-edge software to help everyone across the country better manage their businesses and keep their pulse on what's going on. Uh, next year in 2019, we're going to be rolling out Workday um, for the financial management of the company, and that will be done broadly as well, which will also add efficiencies and improve our processes and controls. So Workday is an example. Um, a year and a half, almost two years ago, we deployed adaptive insights for business planning, modeling, and financial reporting, and it's been a huge success. Um, as an aside, Workday just acquired uh, Adaptive Insights, so a lot, of, a lot of the folks listening to this are probably aware of that. So those are some examples of software that we've invested in and technology to better run the business. As I, you know, I'm curious, David, uh, for yourself, I mean, was it – is this something you feel like you should have done uh, maybe two or three years ago, or what? Why did it become a priority at the size the company is now to do one of these large enterprise adoptions? I think we realized a couple of years ago that we had or were soon going to outstrip the system we had in place. Uh, it had worked for 12-plus years when we had 100 people, and we were able to leverage it, but there were several pieces of technology that we would cobbled together and really the human capital side drew, drove this, and then we needed an ERP system that connected it all together. So I, 
I want to think we're sort of ahead of the curve. I know as we go from six, seven, eight hundred million to a billion, we could not run the business with the systems we have today. So it was something that we'd been talking about for two or three years, then engaged on it a couple of years ago, and then made the decision in early 18 and began the implementation process. And we think it will pay, you know, huge dividends as we grow the business moving forward. Now, with the, the, the system that you had in place, was that more or less a custom system or, or one that was a, a couple of different applications sewn together, or what was that exactly? It, it was, uh, no, it was uh, uh, one of the top three uh, payroll vendors, HR platforms, you know, in the country, but they didn't offer the platform and the latest technology that Workday had, so we made a decision to, to move in another direction. Is it uh, one of the things you said that I thought was interesting was uh, HR or human capital triggered the bigger deal? It wasn't like you, and in, in, in my way, and in, in correct me, um, I don't think this is uncommon in this weight class of company where talent becomes uh, a bigger pain point. Uh, and what I'm getting at is you said you. It was the human capital element that triggered you to go back and actually get the ERP piece of it. Um, it wasn't the other way around. Yeah, and, and, and it does. And, you know, I spend and my HR teams uh, have a running comment with me that, you know, I spend part of the majority of my time in the human capital arena, whether it's working with our pharmacy management teams across the country, uh, working with all of our various support uh, teams here. So, you know, I, I was heavily involved in, in this workday decision along with probably 50 other people. But, you know, the human capital side is what drives our business, it's what's gotten us to where we are today and we continue to focus on hiring the best people to run our pharmacies and deploying the things we've learned over the last 10 years across all the pharmacies. And we've tried many things over the years. Some have been successful, thankfully more than not successful, and some have not worked, and we're able to really leverage that knowledge base as we continue to grow. Now, Again, given the unique ownership model that Guardian has, I would think the human capital piece of this is, is, is kind of interesting to, to many of us because we know on, you know, talent often does come down to the local level and, and the, the work culture on a local level. And uh, meanwhile, uh, you have spent, uh, as you just described, a good deal of your time uh, focused on human capital in, in recent years, um, and so I'm curious as to your model. I mean, do you have a, a direct HR report, David, on a national level, and then the local uh, partnership groups uh, likewise are, uh, you know, a direct line to that person, or how does it work? It's constantly changing. We're in the process of better defining those roles because <clears throat> uh, our HR, our VP of HR, has been with the company um, through this whole growth period, and she and her team have done a fabulous job, but it requires 
a lot of change because when we had five pharmacies, it's different how we support them than when we have 35. So we have a team here in Atlanta that focus on really three areas, uh, the total rewards that manages you know, benefits and compensation. The second bucket would be our HR generalist, HR operations, you know, the day-to-day -day things that go on in the pharmacy. And then our third um, very important area is recruiting, and that, that's how we're broken up and divided. And then we have, throughout the country, we have several HR business partners that work with several pharmacies. And then we also have, which we think is one of our, our secret weapons, and it's, it's nothing you couldn't replicate other than finding the right people. In each of our 32 locations, we have a director of finance and or a controller in the larger locations that wear an HR hat as well. So they will handle some of the on-the-ground HR duties and working closely with our team in Atlanta. That's a, that's a really interesting role. I want to uh, ask you about that. Uh, given your understanding of finance and the professional roles that are out there, um, what do controllers share in common with HR professionals? Any characteristics? What Some people might see those as two entirely different worlds. Meanwhile, you just shared with us that you're spending such a, a sizable portion of your time on human capital-related issues. We shouldn't be surprised to find controllers are being stretched in new directions as well. Um, and given their eye view into the organization and the esteemed sort of uh, professional character of that role. Am I, uh, make, is this a stretch for me to say this, or what would you, what would you comment? No, no, I think it's a great question. Um, we had this group of uh, leaders from our pharmacies, the director of finance and the controllers, in uh, Atlanta two weeks ago. And uh, I was talking to them about this because you know, a controller, they have a function to do, but they have to be able to lead, manage, retain, and hire people. So I think a controller has a huge, uh, you know, people side to their role. And frankly, I think most of them probably need more. So I think the two are hand in hand. And I think we have a unique opportunity because our financial people that work in these pharmacies are able to not only do finance, which, by the way, it's operational finance or operational accounting. They're helping run these businesses, make change, look at workflow, look at metrics, and look at how the production in the pharmacy actually works. I think that's exciting. And then they also are wearing this HR hat. It varies in locations from 20% to 40%, depending on how large they are. So it really gives a core finance person the ability to spread their wings and grow in areas that, you know, a traditional financial-type role would not offer. So I think we really have something exciting to offer, and, you know, we've got a, a great team of people out there, you know, in these roles. Let me know if you think I'm uh, 
sort of amplifying this too much, but are, are you are you blazing a path here? I mean, this sounds uh, very untraditional. This sounds like your um, traditional roles in organizations just don't change that often, and uh, maybe it's the pain the pain points of um, hiring and talent. No, I think I think we are blazing a trail. You don't see it out there that much. And, you know, these unique roles, uh, you know, people are able to stretch muscles they didn't know they had. And, uh, you know, what one thing, you know, talking about, I was going to talk some about things we've done. You know, we've got the financial accounting stuff down, but where people can excel, even in the support office here and throughout the country, is on operational accounting. And I can talk a little bit about the other hats that these directors of finance and controllers have to wear. There's the HR, the, you know, the financial accounting, there's information technology, you know. I mean, they're, they've got a very diverse, exciting, challenging job, so we could spend more time on that. That would be great. Just just for a, a few moments, let's zero in on your uh, on this directors of finance role. Who typically are they, if you wouldn't mind, uh, and, and how do you – Bring them to, do you bring them together uh, annually or semi-annually? How do you uh, – uh, do they know their peers inside other organizations? I'd love to learn more about this role. Yeah. The first question, we get together uh, once a year with just the DFAs, and there are a couple of more meetings throughout the year where we'll get together. There's one in February, and then we get together um, – to go over and look at the final business plans as we're wrapping those up in, in November. So we get together a lot. But these are um, professionals. Uh, they're all you know, CPAs. Uh, some have their MBAs and have you know worked in a financial role, understand accounting, but then have the skill sets, um, the communication skills, the interpersonal skills to take on, you know, this broader role that's a lot more than accounting or finance. So it's, uh, you know, it's it's running a complicated business. I mean, Jack, you mentioned when we started, we're in the long-term care pharmacy business, third largest in the country. And we've grown over 40% annually the last five years. So uh, the growth and the complexity of these businesses uh, is vast. Our margins are tight, so that means we really have to manage what we're doing. So you think about the controller's role is to take the financial information and study it and communicate it in the local organization so that they can affect change. Um, the, the first uh, is the revenue cycle piece. I mean, so our local financial you know, leaders are responsible for that, making sure we get the prescriptions billed correctly and then that we get the cash in the bank. And we've got a team that helps them with that. So the whole revenue cycle workflow process is very complex in the pharmacies, and they're involved in that. Uh, the second thing that this group works with is all the data we provide. I mean, you know, sort of a aha moment for us. 
uh, around six years ago, uh, we we saw the complexities of the business growing and knew that we had to have more relevant, timely data at our fingertips to run these businesses. So, you know, we launched off on a project to develop our own data warehouse. You know, so, I mean, we've got all the core financial matters tied down. So financial accounting works fine. Things like implementing AFC 606 is underway. And for a private company, uh, dealing with EY and um, you know doing quarterly reviews and annual audit, we've got that nailed down. We have a very strong uh, financial team here. But what differentiates us is the operational accounting back to our local finance people. So these dashboards and data that we've developed help them locally with all of the things they've got to do from operating metrics and the cost of uh, preparing and dispensing and delivering the prescriptions, the purchasing dashboard. We have a very complicated purchasing structure and all the different vendors that we source the medicine from, so the purchasing dashboards help us tremendously. From a sales standpoint, uh, we're looking at all kind of sales metrics, customer retention. We use Salesforce.com, and, and all that's fed into the dashboard, and then all of our HR metrics. So the, these team members on the ground, they've got access to all this data, all these dashboards that we've developed, not only for themselves, but the other uh, team members responsible for the you know, key functions in the pharmacy. And it's had a huge impact on the business. I mean, that, that is the one thing that has gotten us to where we are today is having the right people in the pharmacies and then having the data at their fingertips so that they can understand what's going on and, more importantly, affect change. We've um, we probably, including our own labor consulting, we probably invested three or four million dollars in this area to develop this data warehouse. And for a company of our size, that's not insignificant. You mentioned how the dashboards allow your your people to get fingers on the data. I've been asking the question maybe more regularly uh, to finance leaders, whether they can get their fingers on the data. And so many of them tell us that it's it's really challenging still at this point. Uh, I don't believe they have those dashboards that you speak of. And again, uh, you know, it could be a, a, a figure of speech, a dashboard. We all think we know what a dashboard is. Um, can you share with us some insight into what exactly the experience is for uh, your, your, your partner groups in terms of uh, when you say having that, that data at their fingertips? I want to I wanna make a lot of finance leaders uh, jealous out there. David, what, what exactly are you uh, – what exactly is the experience that your, your directors of finance have when they want to get their fingers on the data? Well, if you step back, we are a production business. We're a pharmacy. We don't serve retail customers like a Walgreens or CVS, but we fill prescriptions 
in compliance packaging and deliver them to the assisted living and skilled nursing homes. We also do consulting and uh, help them track their electronic medical records and, and just uh, sundry of services. So we fill prescriptions. And this year, we're 15 million prescriptions, uh, you know, going to 17 next year. So we track productivity on a per prescription level. So the directors of finance can look at how our data entry group is doing on getting prescriptions entered and processed. We can look in fulfillment and see how we're doing on getting prescriptions filled and then through the proper review channel. So it's tracking the prescriptions through the labor workforce. On the purchasing side, the purchasers in each of the pharmacies can track who they're buying from what, how their compliance with the various vendors look, uh, did we access the right products from the right vendor to get the right price. So, you know, they're tracking that. And then you've got the financial dashboards that are showing revenue, revenue per RX, revenue by the customer home, and uh, the various expense metrics down to the, you know, operating profit for each location. Okay. Now, <clears throat> just uh, for those finance leaders who feel a little bit stuck in the mud that they've invested in a, in a data warehouse, but they're still having uh, issues, organizationally, was there a, a dashboard champion or was it organizationally, how was this, uh, and I know this, is, this goes back, you guys have um, been building this function for quite a while, but I'm wondering organizationally whether you had a SWAT team or how was this, these dashboards, how did they come to be? It was uh, probably our VP of procurement who works uh, in our support team here, you know, recommended that we need something like this. And there were probably 10 people that rallied around it, uh, both in the pharmacies and here, and then off we went on developing it. We hired a consultant, and probably the biggest champion is a gentleman who was actually our controller who wanted to move beyond accounting and get into business intelligence, data analytics. Uh, he went back and uh, got a master's in this and is in charge of the whole program. So we did have a champion. He's done a great job of leading us through this, and he's got a team of uh, five people that help support this and expand it on a day-to-day -day basis. I, I, I want to ask about a, a broad question just about the healthcare market because we know it's always fluid, the regulatory environment, uh, what it's going to look like five years from now because our – well, our politics and our regulatory environment just seems so unpredictable. Tell us uh, something about your mindset when it comes to healthcare and, and how uh, Guardian Pharmacy has to, you know, understand quickly what, what the changes might be. Well, what we're doing in healthcare in general, obviously, will be here in 50 years. Uh, the challenge and the opportunity we have, and, and everyone providing healthcare services and supporting it have is, is change and improving and wringing out cost and 
educating people on what we do. We are, or our space is, is 5% of the total drug spend in the U.S. It's $350 billion is the total drug spend between retail, hospital, specialty, et cetera. And we're 19 or 20 billion of that in the long-term care space. So we work to educate our customers, which are the end users, the homes where the residents are, live and stay, all the way up to CMS and, and, and what we're doing. I mean, we work closely with the prescription benefit managers, the optums of the world, Caremark, Express Scripts, and educating them on the service we provide. We're different than retail. We provide so much more value to the end user and the residents than just getting pills and a bottle and walking away. So we spend a lot of time on educating and trying to change. If, if you look at the growth in the aging population, everybody knows that over the next 10 years it's going to continue to spike. What we're trying to do is get compliance packaging and all the services that we offer into more people's hands and do it more efficiently. Well, David, we're coming up to our final question, uh, but before uh, I ask it, I want to uh, uh, see if you have another uh, book uh, you'd like to share with us. In the past, you had some great titles uh, that uh, I know you've used to uh, uh, influence your management uh, team and your your, uh, your finance people as well. Anything come to mind? Yeah, one book uh, we looked at probably three or four years ago, and we pulled it out six months ago. It's a book called The Will to Manage. It was published in the mid-60s. Marvin Bowers, the author, is McKinsey consultant. We think it's very relevant today, The Will to Manage, because it, it talks about growth in an organization, a mid-sized to larger type companies, and how important it is to organize set policy, have procedures so that people know what they they need to do, and then engage, take action, have a sense of urgency. Those are all things that are key, and that those are things that we're working to push our leaders throughout our whole company to focus on, do more of, hone their skills in that area, the will to manage. We'll be right back with David Morris. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. David, it's been uh, two years since I last got to uh, ask you this question. Over the next 12 months, what are your priorities as a finance leader? I haven't changed a 
too much in the last couple of years. Human capital, it, it never ceases to be important, getting the right teams in our pharmacies and then making sure we have the people in our support group to take care of them and help them be successful. We've got 50 people in our organization working on business development, so I'm involved in that. Technology would probably be the third thing that to grow the business, operate it, and, and become more and more efficient. We've got to stay on the cutting edge of technology. And then the final thing is have a mindset of cost containment. Our organization has really grown in size, and we have to be thinking about cost and where we spend our money and how we do it more efficiently and uh, just keep that in the culture. I mean, we got to where we are with a mindset of, you know, we pick up pennies on the parking lot is the way we got here, and we have to keep that and keep that in the forefront of, of our, our whole team of 2,500 associates. So those are the key things I think we're David Morris, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you, Jack. Enjoyed it. Thought Leader listeners, whether you've already ascended into the ranks of finance leaders or have only just begun the journey, your professional narrative needs a reboot. Join our email list at cfothoughtleader.com and receive my latest email series, Finance and the Power of Narrative. It's time to mobilize the past to achieve your goals. Thank you for listening.